Good morning, wonderful people. It's time for Grow. So if you'll be finding a seat and you're in for a special treat today, I will take none of the time afforded to our brother. Uh, like last week, Sam taught. Thank you, Sam Lee, so much. Wherever you're at, probably serving somewhere. I saw him this morning, but I don't see him now. Yeah, he's probably helping somebody do something. Um, and this is Article 13. Think about the Great Commission. Uh, last week was Sam. This week is Practical Theology. Our brother Charles Foster, um, and I'm so thankful he agreed to teach. I asked him many moons ago if he would be willing to teach today. So I've been looking forward to this. He's got a lot of experience teaching in a lot of contexts, but I believe the Lord's prepared him for this moment to teach us. So I'm going to pray, hand it over to Charles, and we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your heart. Uh, from eternity, you've known about your great redeeming plan to rescue a people, to show off the worth of your son forever, and you knew that the Lord Jesus would be hunting down sinners in the 21st century over here on this little corner of the world. And you would be not only saving, but equipping churches to be engaged in your mission. And I pray for Grace Church, Lord. Wake us up. Don't let us get lulled to sleep. Wake us up. Uh, like Ephesians says, awake sleeper, rise from the dead. The light of Christ will shine on you. Make us a church like that so that we can be a light to the nations. Pray for Charles. Lord, bless him as he teaches and us as we listen and help us to grow as a congregation to be on mission with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So it is a joy to be here, and uh, I do appreciate the fact that I have this opportunity. Uh, I'm not always happy when I'm first asked. It takes me a while to uh, realize what a joy it is, but I just ask that you would pray with me as I try to unfold what I believe the Lord would have us to see about the practical theology of missions. So. Jordan did introduce this topic uh, two of our GROW sessions ago, and Jordan's theology was a focus on, Jordan's uh, discussion was a focus on the theology of missions. So that was followed by Sam, and Sam's focus was on the history of missions. And today I want to just try to speak a little bit about a practical focus on missions, and of course we'll be using the uh, Elder Affirmation of Faith, and if I say later EAF, EAF, that's Elder Affirmation of Faith. Okay, so uh, I don't plan to try to recommend any program or any step-by-step -step system on what is the best practice for missions. I just want us to see that as we love Jesus, our desire for Him and His glory will compel us toward missions. So if you'll go to the next slide. Now our elder affirmation of faith is on the screen and it says, we believe that the commission given by the Lord Jesus to make disciples of all nations is binding on his church to the end of the age. This 
task is to proclaim the gospel to every tribe and tongue and people and nation, baptizing them, teaching them the words and ways of the Lord, and gathering them into churches able to fulfill their Christian calling among their own people. And now this is, this is really what I want us to focus on. The ultimate aim of world missions is that God would create by His Word worshipers who glorify His name, worshipers who glorify His name through glad-hearted faith and obedience. And then we have some of the words that uh, I know you may have encountered if you've read this book. And Rick was kind enough to provide me with a copy, and I will be reading it more thoroughly, but I did peruse through it. You don't really have to read it uh, all the way through to get a benefit. It's more like a textbook. If you were going to have a textbook for a course on uh, missions, you can uh, read different parts of it and still benefit. So uh, anyway, this is Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad. So missions exist because worship doesn't. When the time of ingathering is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. So if you would, let's uh, ask the Lord's help as we look into this. Our Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to just rejoice in what you're doing, gathering your people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, that you are making worshipers from all your people. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, just help us to rejoice in the fact that Grace Church has been given the privilege of being part of that, of calling sinners from darkness to light. And we thank you that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who does that work, but you have given us the opportunity to take part in it. And we ask that we'll rejoice in that. And then we pray that you'll give Grace Church even more opportunities. And we thank you for Nathan Sawyer and the uh, other brothers he's with even now as he's in India proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Christ and teaching in a faithful way. So we ask that you would continue to bless him and that you would bless his wife April and his children. And we thank you for the opportunity to take care of them while he's gone. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, John, if you'll go to the next slide. Okay, so, of course, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is the Great Commission, Jesus' words before his ascension. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in Jordan's theology of, of missions, he pointed out that there's really only one command here, and the command is not go, but the command is make disciples. So the point then is that the point is how we are to live as Christians. It's more like as we are going, we are to make disciples. And then there are two uh, ING words, and how are we making disciples? 
We're making disciples by baptizing those who confessed Christ and have shown the Holy Spirit's converting work in their hearts. And we are also teaching them to obey all that Jesus has taught. So we are baptizing and teaching those who have been called from darkness to light. And we are doing this as we are going. So that means, I think, that as we are going about our daily life, we are making disciples. But the good news, and Jordan pointed this out, is that uh, we are, uh, we're not called as individuals to do this. It is the church that is uh, given this commission. If you remember the EAF, it said it is binding on who? Good news is not binding on you. It's binding on the church. Now, Christ's kingdom expands as Christians obey the command to make disciples and teach them to obey the king. Conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit on those who hear the good news of the gospel. And discipleship is the nurturing work of the church as Christians grow in grace. John, if you'll go to the next slide. So I have just uh, put this up here in the form of some questions and answers. And the first question is, who is commanded to make disciples? And the answer is the church. However, however, what is the church? The church is the people. So I'm not trying to uh, say Jordan took the monkey off your back and I'm throwing it back on. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying how does the church interface with the world? How does the church interact with the world? The church interacts with the world through the people. So we can say that institutions really do nothing, but the members do, okay? Now God sent us his son to bring the gospel and to bring forgiveness of our sins. We must personally take the gospel of forgiveness to the nations. People are needed to speak face to face with other people. And you know, that could, in our age, that could be what Catalyst does through uh, Zoom calls and FaceTime, where they're able to speak face to face and uh, teach those who are being discipled in other nations to obey all the words and ways of Christ. So people are needed to show the transformative power of the resurrection by living a life conformed to Christ before the eyes of the world and other believers. So yes, it will require us to be on mission as Jordan prayed earlier. We are on mission, Grace Church is on mission. So this is how we encourage one another in the church, and this is how we reach out to unbelievers. How do we do it? Personally, face to face. So Jordan said that we don't need to add anything to our lives to fulfill this commission. Well, that's because as Christians, we are already called to live in the power of the resurrection. If we're living in the power of the resurrection, then we are... uh, we are calling people to enjoy Christ. We are calling people constantly to enjoy Christ by our life and by our words. So if we feel compelled to do more, then that's, we, need to, we need to pray seriously. Is the Holy Spirit prompting us to do more? 
There's, no, uh, there's nothing wrong with responding to a call to do more. So the only thing we need to worry about is getting pressured and pushed into a program. There are a lot of programs that are mission programs that really serve the program and not Christ. The point is we are here to serve Christ and make disciples calling people to enjoy Him and worship Him. So individuals alone are not responsible, the church is. Let me say that again. Individuals alone are not bound or responsible, the church is. However, it is the individuals who go. It is the individuals who go. The message is to the church, but the members are sent out to do the work. Nathan, where is he right now? He's a member. He's in India. He's sent out to do the work. And it's a blessing that we can support and encourage him. So, John, if you'll go to the next slide. So, the point here is, what do we say? when we go out. What do we say when we're sent out? It's the same thing we say at home, John. And that is that God is reconciling the world to himself. So that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. That's what we say. We say be reconciled to God. We say we have, just like you, we're sinners who have offended the king, but we have peace with the king through the sacrifice of his son. We say God sent his son to reconcile us to himself because of his great love and because he loved us we are now reconciled to him. So what do we say? It's the same thing we tell our children. We tell them that we're sinners saved by the mercy and goodness of God. We tell them the king we have rebelled against has sent Jesus to die in our place and we call them to that reconciliation. John, I see it's uh, 9.30 and I'm moving too slowly. So what is required to make a disciple? Okay, what is required? Two things. A presentation of the gospel in love. A presentation of the gospel in love. And I think I just told you what the gospel is. It's that we, even though we've offended the king, he wants to reconcile us. And then we also are required to teach obedience to Christ's commands. Notice the uh, a prepositional phrase at the end. How do we do this? In love. We do it both in love. It is a love endeavor because we love the king who has made peace with us. Matthew 5.20 is a quote from the Great Commission in the EAF. We're teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus said. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're not alone in this. So God, of course, sent out the first missionary, John 3, 16, we know that, and some are also sent out. So, uh, why did God send Christ? Because he so loved. He showed his love by sending his own son. We go out also to show this love. Paul prayed that believers will comprehend all the dimensions of this love. John, if you'll go to the next slide. In, John, in, in Ephesians 3, 
In Ephesians 3, 14, look at verse 18, where the Apostle Paul prayed may, that we would have strength and that those believers in Ephesus would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, uh, look at this. He said that... Uh, he wants us to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So he gives all these measurements. Like he wants to be able to quantify it, but then he says it surpasses knowledge. So he's saying, I'm praying that you'll know the unknowable. I'm praying that you'll know the unknowable. But then he ends in verse 19 about being filled with the fullness of God. So I think what he's really saying is, knowing in a relationship sense. He's not talking about cognitive knowing. He's talking about knowing God in Christ. And that's the only way we can really know His love is as we experience it. It's not cognitive knowledge, it's relationship knowledge. And I haven't checked out the Greek, so I'm not sure, but let's go to the next slide. I'm just kind of thinking that. Okay, uh, so the point is God Loved, He so loved. John 3.16 points that out. Uh, God's overflowing love is why He sent Jesus. It's not a uh, man-centered love because we were so attractive. It's not, that's not what it is. We're not going out to tell the people of the world, you're so attractive, God, just He needed you. No. What we're saying is God is so overflowing with love that his love spills over and creates worshipers. Romans 15 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glory, glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So that's why the title of this is Let the Nations Be Glad. Let all the nations, right there, Jordan pointed this out, there's two people groups, there was the Jews and the Gentiles. So speaking of Romans 15:8, John Piper in this book says there are three interlocking truths in this passage. First of all, Christ came to glorify God. Second, Christ came with a servant heart. So some people might say, well, what's the real cause? Is it God's needing, is it God's intention to glorify himself? Or is it uh, God's mercy and grace? But Piper's argument is that uh, really it's one thing. It's one thing. Because God's uh, glory is seen at its highest point, its greatest uh, expression in the mercy and love that compelled him to send the Savior. So he gives a uh, great example, and I tried to have a gif of an overflowing fountain over there, but I didn't know how to do it. But if you uh, look at, I know that's hard to read, but this part right here, okay, he says, mercy is the apex of God's glory. The way the overflow of a fountain is the apex of a fountain's fullness. God is free to be merciful because He is full and utterly self-sufficient in Himself. He has no deficiencies or needs or defects. He relies totally on Himself and 
for all that he is. So uh, the point is those who are on mission are showing the inward love of God to glorify God as the Apostle Paul said Jesus did, but also they have a servant heart and a love for people, a love for those to whom they are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Uh, Next, John. Why are we to make disciples? Because our love for him compels us to it, and we're just going to move quickly uh, because our love for him compels us to it. There's a quote in this book from John Dawson that says, it's not primarily out of compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It is, first of all, our love of God. We should not be Christian humanists presenting Jesus as some kind of product that will better their lot. In other words, Jesus is not the cure-all for violence in Memphis. When our hearts are fixed on him, the violence in Memphis will end. But that's not why we share his love. We share his love because we're calling people into the glad-hearted worship of the king who has caused us to worship him with glad hearts. Uh, John, if you'll go to the next one. So, uh, Jesus says in John 15, 14, that we're his friends. And uh, he says, if we love him, we will obey him. If we love him, we will obey him. So, love is the motive. Why do we, why are we on mission? Because of our love. Go to the next slide. So, uh Look, you know about this, how when you were first married to your spouse, you couldn't talk about anything but your spouse. I remember that, and I'm sure you do too. But, uh, you know, we once felt this about our husband Jesus as his bride, the church, right? It is this love which fanned into full flame by the Holy Spirit motivates the church to make disciples of all nations. We cannot invite others into the glad heart of worship of the king unless we're also joyful worshipers of the king. So, you know, Sam talked about that verse in Revelations 5 uh, where we have all the nations worshiping, Revelations 5, 6 through 10. And uh, my time is really pretty much gone. If you'll go to the Romans 1 slide and the next slide. So, uh, we must make disciples because Jesus is worthy of worship from all people. And the the Apostle Paul says this. uh, Notice in verse 5, he says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So, the point is for the sake of his name. For his name, that's why we're on mission. If you'll go to the slide on Revelation 6 through 10, and here we find this, uh, we find this uh, scene in the throne room where there's the numberless number of worshipers. And uh, it says in verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And the point is, what? Uh, as Jordan said, it's that object is not in there. The point is, God's overflowing love is so great that it caused him to send his son as the ransom. It caused him to send his son as the ransom, and we are the beneficiaries of that. So, one more, next slide. The point is here in question three, we must make disciples because it's God's designed way. It's God's designed way. Uh, yeah, we follow God's design for his kingdom to advance throughout the world, both geographically and chronologically. So, the church has been given the privilege of participating in the spread of the kingdom, calling true worshipers to enjoyment and satisfaction in Christ, suffering with his son as we are conformed to his image. We must rejoice in this call and be glad. Okay, so uh, when will this be done? Next slide. Until the end of the age, until the end of the age, the, or until the king returns, until we see him face to face. The ultimate aim of world missions is to create worshipers. Uh, if you would, just think with me a minute about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. What did Jesus tell her? After he told her about her uh, life with several husbands, she said, I see you're a prophet. And she said, where should we worship? Uh, some people worship in this mountain. Some people worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, the time is coming and now is when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's who he seeks to worship him. So the point is, missions is to create true worshipers. And what is true worship? True worship is nothing uh, less than the satisfaction of God in Christ. In other words, when our hearts are fully satisfied in him, that's what worship is. Now, we can say we came here this morning to worship. And we can say we're about to have a worship service. But we can sing and we can pray and we could stand up here and even talk and not truly worship. You know that. Worship is inward. Worship is inward. There's a great quote in this book that I don't have time to read, but uh, that's why Jesus and the disciples didn't say a lot about forms of liturgy. No, they did say it's the heart. So what we want to do on mission is call people to the glad-hearted worship of Jesus. So it's a one-step program. Love Christ, love the King, love the Heavenly Father, and your heart will flow over with love to the neighbors and the nations. And I know we're out of time. It's 9.42. I'm sorry. Yes. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us helps like books to help us see but most of all, we thank you for your spirit who fans the flame of our love for Christ. We ask that you would continue to bless Nathan and uh, his work in India, and you would help us all to call our families, our friends, our neighbors, and the nations into the glad-hearted worship of King Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. Don't move. Thank you, brother. That was fantastic. Truly fantastic. One-step program. Love Jesus, call others into the glad-hearted worship of Jesus. I think that's what God has been doing forever. I don't want to over-Christocentrically say the Trinitarian relationships in an unbiblical way. 
But I think from eternity, the Father has beheld the reflection of all of his perfections in the face of his Son by the power of the Spirit. When he created the universe and he redeemed sinners, he invited us to join him in what he's been doing. A lot of verses are running through my head about that. Uh, so yes, the glad-hearted worship of Jesus. Uh, we all talk about what we love. And a lot of lost people have read the Bible cover to cover, and they're still lost. But when Jesus runs away to heaven with your heart, you talk about him. So thank you, brother. That's fantastic. We do have a few minutes. So what thoughts, reflections, or comments would anybody have? And that's why I wanted Charles to hang out here and... No, brother, you're on the, you're on the platform for a good reason. No, no, you will be in five minutes. Uh, thoughts, comments, questions, reflections, you all may have. Yes, Derek McClarty, just go for it loud and clear. I think uh, you're right about all the grammar. But uh, so I listened to several different things and I listened to what Piper said and it's almost like uh, it's almost like it's a false question 
because for the church to do anything, it does mean the people will be doing it. So uh, I almost had like an illustration where I would say, okay, uh, y'all stand in a group right here, and we're going to call this group the church. Just make a big group over here, a big clump. Okay, now we'll have somebody pretend they are the world, the lost world, and they'll stand near our big clump of people. Now, I want you to go to the world. What would have to happen? The people in this big clump would have to move toward the world. So the point is, yeah, we have to go. And I don't, I don't think uh, Jordan or anyone else is trying to say we don't have to go, but I think it's more like uh, there is the idea that in uh, Romans 15, it's where the Apostle Paul was going to Spain and he asked for support, right? Uh, he didn't say, you're all going with me. And he left uh, Timothy the instructions to be an evangelist. So, you know, there's, you could get wrapped up in trying to parse those definitions out. I'm not sure my answer is making any sense, but I'm agreeing we do have to be proactive. I think if uh, the glad-hearted worship of King Jesus is flowing out of us, his heart is for the nations. We're going to have that. Well said. Uh, I'm going to commandeer the last minute and a half and say, I think, totally imperatival participles. It's an imperative to be going, to be baptizing, to be teaching. I, I'm going to take a risk and use an example that I had in my sermon notes a few weeks ago in the Joshua overview. I, on the fly, cut it out. Seems moderately fitting right now. Tracy and I, before we got married and since, are trying to live our life 100% on mission. Here's the example. The house two blocks away that we used to live in, long story, we ended up moving across the street, but the first one, the first time we ever saw it was when we pulled up in front of it with a U-Haul truck and all of our stuff. We bought it from Minneapolis. We did one demographic research. Where's the most crime in Memphis? 38105 was tied for first with 38127 for about 30 years. So we just moved here. I'm, last month, still haven't gotten, or two months ago, haven't gotten over the joy of spending time with career missionaries uh, from Eastern Europe, who's literally sold everything to go. I don't know, it's, it's a risk of using a positive example about my own self. <laughs> and I don't like to do it, and you can search 16 years of sermons that, for better or worse, are on the internet. I rarely do it. I'm trying to say, I think we're doing the exact same thing that our friends in Eastern Europe did. Like, you can have our whole life, we don't care where we live, we don't care what the house looks like, there's some lost people, let's go. Uh, that's why we're here. And uh, we've seen a, a, a radical uh, produce of almost no fruit. But fruitfulness is not the issue. Faithfulness. You just tell a lot of people the gospel. So, uh, so you're bringing glory to God. And goal. through glad-hearted worship. That's our goal. There's your goal. That's our goal. Yeah. So the names of 45 young teenage, uh, now early 20s, most of them men in this neighborhood that I pray for regularly, with whom I've shared the gospel, many of them repeatedly, zero of them have come to faith. 
but for 16 years, those, that's my mission field, trying to get them the gospel. And uh, their names are in my office on the wall. And uh, yeah, let's just go. Let's, let's be missionaries where we're at our whole life uh, for Christ. Brother, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Lord willing, next month, it'll be Article 14. You can be prepping on that.